Good evening. How y'all doing? All right. Nine of you are doing good. The rest will decide as we go, I guess. Uh, it rained today. I don't know if you noticed. Just a light drizzle. Um, I think I'm still wet from that because I was in a torrential downpour. And every time I experience rain like that in any way, um, it makes me think of five months where I lived in England, where it like rained, it seemed like every day. And during that time, I had an opportunity one weekend to go kind of rollicking on this bus tour in Ireland. And so I'm on this bus tour, we're driving around, we're supposed to be looking at the best places in Ireland, and we stopped for like an hour, hour and a half, two hours, I don't even know how long it was, in a town called Sneem. It was like a beautiful town, and it has like the worst name ever. Like it sounds like a body function, Sneem. Uh, and so we're in Sneem, and I'm around people all day, the bus has been smelly, that the sun was out, and that was like a rarity over there, and so I was like, I'm just going to take a walk, and I'm naturally lazy, so I just started walking downhill, and I just kind of kept walking downhill and winding wherever the course took me, and all of a sudden, I just realized I was alone. I looked around, I looked left, I looked right, I, no one was with me, and then I kept walking, and I, I went in between these hills and turns, and all of a sudden, I was just at the shore, and it was a rock beach. Like picture it with me, this rock beach of just gray rocks and white and, and black rocks, just these beautiful stones. And then I looked behind me just to see what was going on, and it was the most, I mean, it's the definition of green. It was just green, green hillocks, these mounds, these little mountains creating for me this valley where I'm standing there. And then I look before me, and it's this purple-blue water. And there I am in this valley, so it's down low, there's these hills, and so the sound is just thunderous of these, these waves just crashing repeatedly over and over. Like, hear that with me. And so it's, my hearing was, and I was just, again, alone and rocks, and, and, and the breeze was hitting me. It was this crisp, like, beautiful air. And it was just hitting me in the face, and I, it was almost like I could breathe better. It was just majestic. And in this, the air, there were these like tiny little rainbows that were being made, prisms of light that were in the haze that was coming from the salt water. You could smell the salt. It was just like every sense was activated as I stood there. Just, this is an amazing experience. Have you had that experience? I'm not saying in Ireland. I'm just saying, have you ever walked upon like beauty? And I don't know if I was there for a second. I don't know if I was there for a minute. I don't know if I was there for hours. I don't know if I was there for days because it was like there was a whisper of eternity in that second. It was, it was just like this hint of what is to come, what will be. It was just beauty. I felt alone. I felt small. I felt forgotten. And it was wonderful. And now I think of that same moment. If I had this with me, what am I doing then? It's like I'm doing the duck lips. Like, I don't even know how to like, you know, I have to have my like hand in a certain way, hold the phone at a certain angle so I can show my physique. Like, I got to get it all right. And what do I do? I like start FaceTiming people. And you ever do that? You FaceTime people and the first person doesn't answer. So then you're like, ah, who else? Oh, there's one. You go to the second person. They're like, no, they don't answer. You go to the third person. It's super awkward because while you're FaceTiming the third person, the first two start hitting you up. And it's like, oh, I don't know why they're FaceTiming. That's weird. You were definitely my first pick. That's what I would have been doing. I was like, check this out. And I'd have been showing them Ireland and I would have been missing Ireland. And I would have been posting Right? I would have been putting it all over the place. And then as I put my phone away, what would I have to do like eight seconds later? Who's seen what I'm seeing? Who's seen me see what I'm seeing? Like I totally would have been taken from that moment. What filter do I use? Like these would have been the questions in this kind of eternal moment. But without my phone, I think back to that. Even on today when this torrential downpour is going, I go back to that place. I think, of, I think it was Wordsworth who said, I wandered lonely as a cloud. 
And I go back there and I think about that moment in time and it felt human. It just felt human. There's something about being human, right, that we're a bit different. There's something different about being human. Can we agree to that than anything else? Being the ocean, animals, anything. I did some reading about antelope recently. Don't read about antelope. There's nothing to read. There's not much. Here's what antelope do. This is their functionality in life. This is it. This is everything you need to know about antelope. If you're a zoologist in here and you have tests on antelope, you don't need to study tonight. I'm giving you all the answers. Here it is. First, they eat. When an antelope wakes up, all he's thinking about is food. I want to eat, I want to eat, I want to eat, I want to eat, I want to eat. It just keeps going, rote in their head. I want to eat, I want to eat, I want to eat, I want to eat. Then they eat. And if they get enough to eat, you know what they start thinking? I want to breed, I want to breed, I want to breed, I want to breed, I want to breed. Okay, so far, so far it might sound like some humans you know. Uh, but antelope, that's all. Eat, 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 eat. Breed, 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 breed. That's it, that's it. Third thought. The only other thought they have is this. I don't want to get eaten by lions. So I'm eating or I'm breeding lions and then they run. That is the whole thing. That is antelope. And never in the history of antelope has one antelope like gathered the other antelope together and be like, guys, 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 come here, come here, come here. I did some algorithms. I, I looked at some data and here's our problem. It's the lions. The lions are our problem. So we should build a raft and go to a lionless land. Humans did that. That's what the pilgrims did. We should build like antelope weapons. Wouldn't that be terrifying that we can attack the lions with? We should build a house, a fortress. They don't do that. There was a zoologist, and I love this quote. He said that antelope live for 19 years. They should have a life expectancy that's much greater, but they make too excellent of a prey. They just get eaten. That's what they do. Humans are different. We are different. And it's even in the Bible that says we're different. If we look at Genesis 1, 26, it begins. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. That's the triune God saying, let's make man humans different. Let's put something different inside of them so they'll build rafts. Let's put something different inside of them so they'll enjoy views and take bus tours and come to Tuesday night gatherings to hear someone speak. Let's do something. The antelope don't do that. Hey, you want to come to Veritas Antelope Edition? No, you just eat, breed, and like run from lions. There's nothing to it. We're different. And then if you keep reading, it says, in our likeness, so that they may rule over. We have a job to rule over. If you go to 27, it says God created mankind in his own image. It says it again. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blesses them. He doesn't do that with the other things. Like he builds this like infrastructure for us and he makes it good and he repeats it often that it's good, it's good, it's good. But he doesn't bless it and he doesn't put himself into it. That's what he does with us. He blesses it. And then he says, be fruitful. Like do good things. Make stuff happen. Build things. Create be fruitful, increase the number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. And if you skip ahead to 31, the other verses are important too, but we don't have time. We skip ahead to 31, it says, God saw all that he had made and to this point he had made all the stuff and he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he makes humans and we get this change where God saw all that he had made and it was very good. We're the upgrade. We're the precious thing that God put his creativity into. We are rational, we're culture-making, we're subduers. If you had a little desk in front of you right now, this would have been a great like, social experiment we could have done. If you had a little desk in front of you, each person has their own little desk in front of them. Uh, if I had put Legos out on each one, not one of you at this point wouldn't have touched those Legos. Every single one of you, your hands would have reached for those blocks and you would have arranged them by color or you would have stacked them or you would have traded with a neighbor because we can't help ourselves. We want to create. We want to do. We want to make. We're different. We're different. Hey, Lego's fantastic. They built a company on an intrinsic thing that is inbred in every human being. 
Cha-ching. Brilliant. You ever get everyone in the room? You walk in a room and every single person's looking at their phones. Have you ever seen people look more like antelope? I mean, it's just like drool's coming out and Cheetos are going in. And that's like, that's where it is. And I, I want to be clear tonight. What I'm not going to do to a bunch of college students is sit here and decry social media and cell phones and media in general. That would be offensive. But it's the weak offense. The Bible offends you way deeper than that. It cuts us way deeper. It goes deeper than that. And one of the ways I, I found that out, uh, actually, I learned this lesson in fifth grade. Our teacher had this talk with us and said, hey, for a field trip, we, every year we do a field trip. I don't know if you grew up in a school where every year they do a field trip. We would go to the arch or go to some national park or do something. Field trip day. It was, it was beautiful. Get on buses, great. Uh, teacher said, uh, we're not going to get on a bus. We're actually going to do a field trip here. Like, it's a special field trip. It's better than the other ones because we don't have to leave. And we're like, that doesn't sound better. That sounds like our school's poor. And she's like, yeah, budget cuts. Uh, so we had these fifth grade classrooms that surrounded a pod. And the pod was a general common area. She's like, our, our field trip's in the pod. And we're just like, wah, wah, wah. We walk out to the pod for field trip. And here comes this farmer and these big country overalls lumbering up with cardboard boxes. That's our field trip. Farmer Dale is walking into our school as field trip. And we're like, what is happening? And so he opens up these boxes and what's inside them are the parts of pigs and the parts of cows. And he's like, intestine. And we just, they, he just passes them around. He talks a little about it, but it's just like free play with parts. That's all it was. And as we're free playing with parts, I look across the room and I see the kid in fifth grade that every single person was scared of. His name was Foo Dog. I think it's on the birth certificate, Foo Dog. I don't know what he's doing now, but he's in some penitentiary. He was scary. He had facial hair. He always wore this Randy Moss jersey. And he was the first kid in our fifth grade to beat people up. And if you look at me, I have a physique that's very wired to getting beaten up. So it was like this thing. And I noticed Foo Dog was sneering at me from across the room. I was like, this ain't good. This does not bode well for me. And all of a sudden, he just did a wind-up and just chucked something at me. And across the room, I'm like, I want to do the Matrix thing, but the movie wasn't out yet. So I just stand there, and all of a sudden, I just catch. He had thrown a cow's heart at me. So I'm standing there holding a cow's heart, food dog looking at me like, what are you going to do? And I'm just thinking, I'm going to get beat up either way. If I ever pick a fight in life, I'm going to pick it with Foo Dog because one hit and I'm out. If I pick someone that looks like me, we're going to have claw marks and slap marks on it. Foo Dog just knocked me out. Here we go. And I just take it and I chuck it back as hard as I can at him. And he catches it. And he throws it back. And I'm like, I'm playing catch with Foo Dog. <laughs> I've arrived. And I remember he said, go deep. And I went deep in the pod, as deep as you could go. We're in the pod. Come on. Budget cuts. Uh, I run and I catch the heart. And I'm like Heisman. And it felt so good to catch the heart. And all of a sudden, a hand grabbed me. And it put the heart like right against my face. And I've been watching a lot of the World Cup. Guys score goals and they do this. Like up until that point, I always thought the heart looks like this. The heart does not look like this. Perfect and pristine. I like runs to candy. I like to eat those little candies. So I always thought the heart is like a perfect shape, symmetrical, and it tastes like strawberries. It's a beautiful thing. But the teacher wrenched it into my face and I saw this brown, misshapen, morbid, wrinkly looking thing. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, this is disgusting. And I looked at it and I was like, it is. It totally is. But here's the thing. Mine's not any better. Mine is not any better. And I fool myself into thinking that this thing is going to guide me and this is a great compass and mine's the one pure heart that looks like, no, mine's just as warbled. 
Mine's just as morphed. Mine's just as disgusting. See, the problem isn't our cell phones. The problem isn't our media. The problem isn't our social media. The problem is our hearts. There's a theologian who says our hearts are idol factories. They just create idols out of anything. Out of anything. You think about the Trojan horse. You look at the Trojan horse, it looks beautiful. You have to look inside it to see that destruction is waiting. We don't need to look at our phones. That's going to miss the mark. We need to look at ourselves. That's where it originates. If we said, for example, what's a good example of an idol? It wouldn't take long if I took poll of the room. Someone would say, money. So if I said, thank you for coming to Veritas when it rained all day, we're going to reward you. When you leave, each person gets a duffel bag that has a million dollars in it. You'd be like, whoa, million dollars, student loans, cars, Wendy's four for four, upgrade it to a five for five, add the cookie. Every time I want to add the cookie because they got it on sale, they mark down 30 cents. That makes it a five for five, but I only do it like one out of three times because it's like money, you know? Got to save up for that sort of thing. But if I had the million dollars, five for five every time, I might make it a six for six and add a frosty. It'd get real. It'd be amazing. But if I told you that and you're dreaming about what you're going to do with that money, but then I said, there's one caveat. You get to keep the million dollars, but here's the caveat. You can't spend it. I mean, you'd take some selfies. You'd make it rain in your room. It'd be fun for like a minute. And then you'd be like, it's just paper because we don't actually want money, do we? We want what money can get us. And what can money get us? In our own little warbled, wicked hearts, money can get us power, a power we think we deserve and that we want. Money can get us prestige and popularity. Money can get us purpose. And all this fuels this other P word, this pride that we have embedded in us that we want, we want, we want. And this is as old as time. If you think about Genesis 3, this happens in Genesis 3. This is where uh, the fall of man, man and woman sin. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? So the serpent flies up or jumps up. At that point, he wasn't crawling in the dirt because that happens later. So we don't actually know what the serpent looked like at this point. I think it's probably really attractive because it captivated Eve. Snakes aren't captivating. So like there's something about it that drew her. Okay, so she comes over and she's talking to this serpent. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle. You must not touch it or you will die. Talk about that forever, we won't. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows, this is verse five, it goes on, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What do we want? We want to be like God. Give me that duffel bag of money because then I can be like God. Give me this social media because then I can be like God. I can control things. I can cultivate things for myself. And here's, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. What are we attracted by? Oh, it looks good. Go for it. It's shiny. A duffel bag of money. I'll, yeah, I'll take it. I won't think about the consequence. I don't think about what could happen. Just give it to me because then I can, I can be like God. That's what we long for. It's in all of us. And I love that God, in the beginning, he makes everything in pairs. He makes like the sky and then he makes the land offset it. He makes like a cow and then he makes vegetation for the cow to eat. Like everything's like this. Man couldn't find a suitable companion for himself. So God's like, boom, Eve. And it's like match made in heaven. Well, literally made in heaven. Match made in heaven happens. Adam and Eve. He makes everything. And what he's showing us is that our provision, just like we sang about, our provision is in him and him alone. You need something? I got you covered. You ask me. And if you can't have it, I'll tell you why, because I know what's good for you, but I am your provision. And what happens with our idols is it's just us seeking another source for our provision. Most of us in this room, not all, most of us want to have sex. Okay, some of you are called to singleness, beautiful calling, hard calling, Godspeed. 
Most of us want to have sex. But what do we do? God says, oh, I got a way for that. Marriage. I got this beautiful way to do that. And we're like, eh, shortcut, bypass. I got my own way to do it. I don't make that an idol because I can figure this out on my own. I don't want your provision. I can come up with a provision for myself. We want community. God says, I have a way for you to have good community where you can be vulnerable. You can be open. You can confess sins to one another. You can not look down on people. You can not show favoritism. We're like, eh, I don't know about all that. I got this other trumped up way I can do it. Redemption. God says, I have the plan for redemption that you can come and be with me forever. And we're like, good plan, but I got a better one. I'm going to work, 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 work. I'm going to find a way to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to set a new standard. I'm going to be the good person. I'm going to compare myself to people who are worse and weaker than me. I can redeem myself. We're forever trying to earn for ourselves, to prove ourselves, to treat ourselves. And we use a fake million dollars to buy things which don't exist because no good thing exists apart from God. It just doesn't. It can feel good. It can look pleasing to the eye, but eventually it's going to be like that Trojan horse and death and destruction is going to pour forth from it. So how does this apply to media? Our phones, how do they become forbidden fruit to us? Because this isn't a message where like phones are bad. That's kind of dumb. They're not, they're neutral. This thing isn't bad. It's never done a bad thing. It just sits. I can skip it like a stone. I can use it to look at things. I can take pictures. Like in and of itself isn't bad or good. How does it become this thing that can destroy me? How does it become a thing where I can bypass God? Well, a few specific ways. The first grouping is overt ones. The overt ways that this can happen, the first way is, man, we just use it to cling for power. You ever look at screen names? I got on a comment board today and just looked at people's screen names. No one's screen name was like Skinny Arms 83. Like if it was my screen name, it should be Skinny Arms 83, but if it was my screen name, it's like 8-Pack, Macho Dude. Like it's just this way to trump up this power, even this arbitrary kind of stupid power is better than no power. Give it to me. Look at common boards and look at people's names. They're not reality. There's this uh, philosopher named Michel Foucault. He is not a believer. He's postmodern. He has said some brilliant things. He said some things that maybe are a little bit silly. But one of the best things I think he ever said was this. He says that we build as humans, we build our identity on that which we love. That's the first step of identity making. I'm wearing like a Cardinals hat. I like the Cardinals, so then I get a hat that says Cardinals to let everyone know, hey, part of my identity is I like the Cardinals. That's what we do. But then he said the next step of humanity is then we hate everyone who doesn't love the same thing. You're a Mizzou fan? First rule, be a Mizzou fan. Love Mizzou. Second rule, get some clothes. Third rule, hate Kansas. I mean, that's usually how it goes. You're a Cardinal fan. You hate the Cubs. I, I, I like fitness as an example of this. Like if I decide to get fit and I really want to get fit, first I'll start going to the gym and working out. And then what I'll do? I'll go buy some Lululemon or whatever, the knockoff Lululemon. I'll buy something cheap. And I'll say, hey, I'm in fitness clothes and I'm all into it and it's kind of pure at first and it's my identity. Look how fit I am. Look, I'm tracking my steps, all this stuff. And it's not long before I start hating fat people. Like it starts out as I just want to hit the gym and then it turns into I drive by McDonald's and I look down on the people there. I build my identity on that which I love and then I hate everyone who doesn't love it the same way. And we do that. I do that with Ireland. I just want to show pictures because I love to travel. If you don't, you're kind of lesser of a human being than me. That's what I'm doing. My money and my things. Look, I got a new car. It's not even about the new car and enjoying the new car. It's about saying, hey, Becca didn't get one. She's going to hate this. Look at my new car. We just do this in so many ways. And what happens? We weaponize our faith. We weaponize our relationships. And media gives us the ability to do this at an instant. There used to be a saying by a philosopher that said, I think, therefore I am. Now it's turned into, I post, therefore I am. It makes us feel like we exist and it makes us feel like we're better than others, like we have power. 
Another way we use this power in an overt way is we objectify people. People just become pawns to fortify our own ideas. Or people become pawns to like kind of gratify our sexual desires. Like I can use the device in my pocket to see a bunch of people naked. It's funny that I can watch something on cable and see more naked people in one episode than Abraham Lincoln saw in his whole life. Like, is that not wild to think about? The access we have and what we're using it for? I don't want to get to know the person. I don't want to know their desires. I don't want to know what they're into. I don't want to date them. I don't want to... I just want to view them in the most, like, vulnerable way and get something out of it and then discard them. You know how toxic that is? And we trick ourselves, like, oh, everyone does it. It's not that big. But it is just, it does something to you. Another thing that we do through power, and this one's a little more overt, but it's still covert if we think about it, is... We're dishonest. We use like social media, media to just like act like we know more than we do. You, are, you ever Shakespeare a text? Like it takes you like 40 minutes to write a text because you're thinking of how to maneuver the words to sort of get your way. That's just diction maneuverability. No, it's lying. Like if I didn't want to come to Veritas and speak tonight, it's raining, I didn't really want to come, what text would I send? I wouldn't say, hey, I just don't want to come. I would have said, hey, Austin, thanks for having me. Um, I've got a newborn at home and that's kind of difficult. So it's going to be really hard. You know how badly I wanted to come and the text will just keep going. My kid's not sick, but if I put the word difficulty, he might surmise that he's sick. And it's not dishonest because I didn't say he was sick. You hear what we're doing? Where the Bible says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Social media, no, we can just kind of like fake it. It's not totally lying. It's, it's this other thing we do. If I'm suave enough with my syntax, I can play God. And then there's all these covert ways, and these are almost scarier, these covert ways that we do this. James 1.15 says, Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. It's like getting a puppy, and then you raise the puppy, and you pet the puppy, and you grow the puppy up, and you find out the puppy's a gremlin and is going to eat you. That's what we do. We like keep these things, these little habits in our lives and then they're the very things that destroy us tomorrow. One of the ways we do that is through time. Colossians 4, 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. There's another one in Ephesians. There's actually all kinds of these if you look through the Bible, especially Proverbs. But Ephesians 5, 15, 16 says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. How does a wise person live? Well, it keeps going and it says, make the most of every opportunity. Another translation says, make the most of the time. Are you making the most of your time? Or in some ways, does media rob you? Have you ever been robbed of time by media? Guilty. Today, I looked over my talk, and when I was done, I was like, yes, I'm done. And started like, now I can kill 30 minutes. I even used that phrase, I can kill 30 minutes. I only have so many 30-minute blocks in this life. I was on a trip in Italy, and we were on a bus again. I don't know why I keep hanging on buses in foreign countries, but I was on a bus with a bunch of other college students, and a girl behind me tap, taps my shoulder. And I look back, and she goes, hey, do you mind lowering your shade? Because we're trying to watch this movie, and it creates a glare. They're watching 40-year-old virgin. We're in the Italian countryside. There's villas and vineyards and there are all kinds of people playing. So I'm like, I will never be here again and you want me to lower my shade. And so I told her that. No, I didn't. I said, well, you know, and then I like lowered it and kind of peeked out because I didn't want addiction maneuverability. I wanted to be like super nice and keep her friendly. But I was like, that is a stupid waste of time. 
Making the most of time should be taking all of this in. And when you think of our life, we should be taking all of it in, not because we have this YOLO. We have this YOLO. You only live once forever. And so we should make the most of all of it because God ordained us to do this. And it's good when we do it. And we feel full when we do it. And we have passion. We have purpose when we do it. I doubt, I don't know, the first question in heaven I think is going to be like, hey, do you know him? God's going to point to Jesus. And then the second question I'm pretty sure is going to be like, are you watching anything good on Netflix? It's not that Netflix is bad and we shouldn't watch shows, but it's like, have we ever just wasted time? I've had weekends where I haven't left my house because it's like, oh, Stranger Things, oh, new episode of Ozark, oh, and it's like, whoa, it's Thursday. I missed work. <laughs> we got to take that serious. Another way that it gets us is solitude. You know, like talked about Ireland, just being there alone, there's something good about that. There's something good about that. The, the guy who owns Netflix, he said one of his goals of Netflix is this, to cure boredom. That's scary. That's scary stuff because we're made for community, but not community through a screen, not through some kind of filter. And I would contend that boredom's a good thing. If you're always bored, there's probably a problem. But to never be bored is a bigger problem because what boredom indicates is this world is not enough. That there's something wrong with this world. If I never have a second on this earth where I'm not, where I'm just, I'm happy and I'm excited and every moment's great and I'm enthusiastic, why would I ever want heaven? It's boredom that makes me ask deep questions like, there's gotta be something more. Thinking there's gotta be something more to this life is not a bad thought. It's a thought that's put in us by the hand of God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. These are eternal longings that we're having when we're bored. And what can happen is you can appease an eternal longing with a temporal measure. A couple days ago, uh, I guess it was last week, end of the week, I missed lunch. I was really hungry. Uh, We have free vending machines at work, so I ate a Butterfinger for lunch. It appeased my hunger. But if I got to dinner and I was like, eh, I'll have a Butterfinger, and I eat that Butterfinger, it again will appease my hunger. What will happen is it will keep appeasing my hunger and keeping me alive right up until the moment it kills me. That's what happens when we foist our eternal longings on something that can't hold it, something that can't sustain it. It's hollow. It can't do the job for us. The third thing is, on a covert need, is that our social media, our media, it creates a need in us. Like if we do a show of hands right now, just, let's just do this for fun. Raise your hand if you have your phone with you. And there's nothing wrong with having your phone with you, all right? There's nothing wrong with that, but everyone's always got their phone with them. I always have my phone with me. And what do you say when you don't have your phone with you? Has anyone ever said or heard, I feel naked without it? I've said it too. I've said it too. Uh, All the time. That's the first thing I say is I feel naked. What's interesting, you know what happens in Genesis 3? After Adam and Eve, they sin, you know what they do? They realize they're naked and hide themselves with fig leaves. They say, I feel naked, so I need something to cover my nakedness. Yes, this isn't the best costume. Yes, this doesn't look good. Yes, this doesn't match my eyes, but it'll have to do because I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to have to deal with this, so I'll just cover it. And so when we say, I feel naked without it, it's almost like this is the modern fig leaf. I need this because if I get bored, I need something to go to. I need this because what do I do without it? I need this in case someone needs me. I need to feel needed. I need this in case I need to reach out to someone else because God, I can't reach out to him. You hear how the thinking can go. I feel naked without it. I've said it. 
And at the DMV, at the waiting room in your class, this talk that's boring, your hands are like fidgeting, like going towards the phone. And where our hands and where our actions go when our mind is disengaged often reveals what our God is. What do we turn to when we're broken? What do we turn to when we're empty? What do we turn to when we're bored? I know what I turn to. Sports. See how the World Cup went today. Ooh, Facebook, cool. Ah, pictures of my kid. Like, it's not all the way wrong, but you see, when my heart's desire is just to this for my need, oh man, that can be a tough road and it's so subtle that we can walk it a long time before we realize it's killing us. After they cover themselves with fig leaves, they hide in the bushes. They hide from reality. And our phones give us the ability to do that too. Not only to hide from reality, but to create our own reality. Growing up, I had pink carpet. I hated pink. I had three sisters, all had white carpet. It seems like my parents could have made a strategic decision there. They all wanted the pink carpet. I didn't want to trade rooms. Isn't that hard? You guys are college students. You guys probably could figure that out if we put it on like some kind of test. Like just trade rooms. But since I had pink carpet and I couldn't trade rooms, you know what I did? Just put my jeans and clothes and Teddy Ruxpin everywhere. Legos. I just covered every inch of floor pretending that I didn't have pink carpet. Man, if you dig that stuff up, the carpet was still pink. We can't alter the reality. Reality is reality. You can't fake it till you make it. You fake it till it kills you. The carpet was pink. And we can become delusional because it's my music on my playlist with my friends and my feed and my opinions and my apps. And what does that sound like? The world is made in my image. And just not true. I can't even get out of my way to glimpse the shore of Ireland because of the enormity of myself I've created. We were made to create culture. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship. Another way this is said in different translations, we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared in advance for us to walk in or in advance for us to do. We're supposed to be doing all these things but yet we get locked down in the triviality of ourselves. You ever get in just a trivial thing where you're like looking at it for hours it's like it doesn't even matter. I do. Stress. I get in a couple group texts a week. Where it's like, I have enough going on and then my phone just keeps on buzzing in my pocket. Like, oh, I gotta check this in case someone died. Nope, they're still alive. They ate popsicles at the pool. Cool, thanks. And then it just keeps buzzing and all day long and by the end of the day, I'm just stressed because it's like, I can't deal with another conversation. It just stresses us out. It has a decrease of depth. Like, if you want to figure something out, Wikipedia, boom, figured it out. I don't give it a thought. I don't think about if it's true. I don't learn how to use my mind. Our language, you think about text, how they've like diluted language. The letters of the founding fathers compared to our modern text messages, yikes. There's a scene in 1984 where uh, the, the thought police, they're trying to d- disintegrate the level of ideas people can have. So what do they do? They attack language. And their goal is to make every single human experience boil down to six words that all kind of have the linchpins of good and ungood. No more wonderful, no more uh, it's majestic, no more sublime, just good and ungood. And that can happen to us, not to that extreme, but I'm just saying it can, we should be thinking deeply about stuff, but deep thinking takes time and it's hard and it's gritty. You know that from college. It can be gritty. We don't want that. So give us the easy way. And what happens, it's a phrase that's been using, it's been thrown around, we create fake avatars of ourselves. Like, if you're an actor, you play a role, and then when the role ends, you should be able to snap out of character. But what we've done is we've become actors, and the role never ends. What a massive cage that is that we build. Or I have to be the fun-loving, funny guy all the time if I ever turn that off. Or I have to be the world traveler. I have to be the smart one. Or I have to be the pretty one. Or I have to be the, and I just have to keep doing this fake thing. I'm in this cage of my own making. 
That's actually the opposite of what Jesus desires from us. And again, it's not the use of our media. It's the desire that lie behind our media. And what Jesus says is he gives a, a, a mission statement for Satan and for him in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief, Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to steal your time. He wants to steal your vitality. He wants to destroy your gifts and talents. He wants you, and he'll use any means, especially appropriate means that society doesn't frown on to get at you. But then Jesus says, I come so that they can have life and they can have it to the fullest. They can have it abundantly. He wants abundant life for you, not to live this fake avatar life, not to live this matrix life, not to live this caged-in life. And Jesus takes it so seriously. There's a point where he says, man, if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off because it's better that it burns than all of you burns. Like this stuff is important to him because he wants us to have the life that he's created for us, the life in him, the abundant life. He doesn't want to appease our thirst with salt water. He wants better for us. There's a freedom in that. And so if you're sitting here and you want to do something about this, I think there's action steps, obviously. One would be assess. Assess how you use media. And don't just assess it, like assess the heart behind it. Test your usage, like honestly. And then test your worldview. What does it reveal about your worldview that you think is true? And then you need to test your rationalizations. I've talked to someone about this. They're like, well, my Bible's on my phone. I was like, yeah, so is porn. And that's your problem right now. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going you gonna to cut off your hand or are you going to just keep it, you know? We can get through this. But then we have to create accountability structures. If we're like, man, I want to use this stuff more responsibly, you got to get someone with you because the heart is wicked. It's deceitful above all else. It'll trick you. Well, this isn't that bad or this won't lead to anything or this won't. No, I need to get my pal over here to say, hey, here's what I'm trying to commit to and here's why. Help me because I'll trick myself. Keep me from tricking myself. But don't stop at your thoughts and behaviors. That's often, well, it takes 21 days to make a habit or to break a habit, and so I'm going to do this for 21 days, and that's all fine and well, and that's good, but you'll just transfer the idol to something else, idol factory. You got to get to the desire level. Why must I chase likes? Why do I need this for all my connection? Gospel has freedom. We sang it earlier that we have all things in Christ. You want power? Jesus has given you power. He says, you are an overcomer. He says, if I'm for you, who can be against you? That's powerful stuff. You want prestige and popularity? Here's some popularity for you. The creator of the universe loves you. Oh, but Becky down the hall doesn't like me. The creator of the universe loves you. Like, let's get some perspective. You want purpose? I don't want to get purpose from social media. I want purpose from a Jesus who says, go therefore and make disciples. Go and subdue culture. Go and create. Go and make. Go and be in my images. Go and reflect how I look to the rest of the world. Purpose. Do it through your art. Do it through your algebra. Do it through your science. Do it through the things you're learning and take that and take it to a world and show the gospel through it. That's where your purpose is. You got fear? He says, I didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of courage, of boldness. Doubt, Thomas had doubt. He said, well, I need my, my finger in the side of Christ and then I'll believe Christ shows up and like, hey, give me your hand, check this out. You want to feel this one too? Yep, he'll meet us in our doubts. 
We worry about having a place in this world, a place to call home. Jesus is like, don't worry about that. You're not of this world. Actually, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And then he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. What's that implication? You don't have to stay in the guest house. It's not the mother-in-law suite. You're in my father's house. We're bunking up. Come on. We're in the big house together. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We don't have to worry about that. Value. I need to get my value. I I get likes because then I feel validated. The Bible tells us that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew you before you came into being, which makes me think he thought about you before you were. God daydreamed about you. He loved you. He made you. He prepared you. I fear death. Paul says, uh, death has lost its thing because I know what's coming. Like there's nothing in, for a Christian that we don't already have. That liberates us to use media well because we don't need to get anything out of it. You think about sin. I worry about sin. I, I, I worry about how I'm using it. I worry about this and that. He's given us new clothes. That happens in Genesis 3 too. After they sin, they're wearing their stupid fig leaves, looking ridiculous, like they're at some kind of Halloween party. Like, it's like, what are you wearing that for? God's looking at them like, that's not good clothes. It's not warm. It's not durable. It doesn't even look good. It doesn't match. It's probably itchy. I'm going to make you something better. He kills an animal, probably a lamb. Blood spills out, and he clothes them foreshadowing the gospel that we have all things in Christ, that I will be your provision. Don't look to fig leaves. Don't look to these other things to be your provision. Yes, we can use everything he's given us because we're the creators, we're subduers, but don't look to it for fulfillment. I'm your fulfillment. I clothe you. I mentioned antelope, my favorite antelope. The most interesting of all antelope is the African impala. It's a type of antelope. The reason it's my favorite is because it's the most athletic. It can jump 12 feet. Um, it's pretty impressive. It's like four feet high, can jump 12 feet. That's crazy. That's hops. Now, the problem is there's people who farm impala. They farm these African impala. Okay, and the problem is that's expensive. If you have 12 feet fence, and if I'm a farmer, I'm gonna be cautious. I'm gonna make them 13 feet high in case I have the Michael Jordan of impala. Okay, so I have 13 foot high fences. I have to put my whole farm, I have to have all these fences. It's so expensive. And so the impala, they'll run and they'll jump over. So I gotta have all these fences. And then this farmer built a four-foot-tall fence. And the Impala weren't jumping over. And everyone's like, well, why not? This is going to save us tons of money. He said, because it's opaque. They can't see through it. If they can't see the other side, they won't jump. The boundary that sin creates for us is self-imposed. And God has given us the ability to have freedom and to leap that boundary. Antelope weren't made for confinement. They were made for the wilderness. They were made to run free. Humans weren't made to look at Ireland through a screen. They were made to stand and see the shore and have the salt hit their face. That's the freedom we have in the gospel. And it frees us up to steward all things well, including media. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us be glad in you. In you we have our gladness. In you we have our hope. In you we have our joy. In you we have our peace that surpasses understanding. In you we have purpose. And just as I can't see the shores of Ireland as purely as I want to, when I'm tied to all these demands on my life and my time, and what if something like that is in the way of you, of the cross? What if I stand at Calvary and all I want is a selfie? What if you say, hey, follow me and I'll make you fisher of man and be like, hey, okay, I want to tweet that, hold on. 
No, God, let us just drop everything that entangles, every hindrance. And that doesn't mean we, we don't use these things. That doesn't mean we don't use media well. That doesn't mean we don't cultivate it and tame it and subdue it. That's what we're supposed to do. Liberate us to use it well, to be great stewards of your creation, even the technology that you've created. But God, most of all, for all these students, I don't care if they throw their phone away. I don't care if they're on their phone all the time. Realter the desires of their heart so that they might have freedom. Life abundant in you. In Jesus' name, amen.